Welcome to I Need Some Air. Bending. A Last Airbender fan cast from someone who's seen the show before. And someone who has not. I'm Landon Ferguson. And I'm Michael Williams. Zuko, Azula, May, and Tylee are sent on a forced vacation to Ember Island by Fire Lord Ozai. They attempt to behave like typical Fire Nation teenagers, but experience little success. They eventually reveal their inner problems as they discover more about themselves and each other. Meanwhile, Aang and friends are attacked by a mysterious assassin with a deadly firebending ability. Alright, Michael, give me your first impressions on this episode. How'd it hit you? I think I got smoothed out by the beach. <laughs> by the Ember Island. That'll do that to you. Where before all of this, I was a rock with rough, jagged edges. Now I'm smooth. I don't know what good that does me, but that's what's happened. That's all I feel about this episode. <laughs> So, you were freaking out a little bit last episode about the group going on a beach vacation out of nowhere. And we see in this one that they explain it by it being a forced vacation. That Fire Lord Ozai, I guess, needs the palace to himself to conduct official business. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I'm glad they explained that in this episode. Because I was having a hard time... Picturing any of the characters being like, let's let's take a vacation. That's what we need. Azula, definite no. Zuko, no. May, no. Maybe Tylee. Right. Tylee's the only person I could picture wanting to take a vacation. Yeah, though I didn't necessarily need an explanation myself. I am glad that it was there. It made a lot of sense. And ultimately, it led to a very, very entertaining character-driven episode yeah i would describe the episode the same way it's a very fun character-driven one that's really focusing on characters we haven't really got the spotlight on before mm -hmm. like, i don't think there's been a may tylee and azula focused episode not at all so good to see that i also find it pretty funny that this is <laughs> this is zuko's group he has no other friends. Right, yeah. It's like, even in the flashbacks to his childhood, it was always these three girls, like no one else. Yeah, they were just always around growing up being Azula's friends. Friends is really pushing it for Azula. Yeah. Her lackeys, subordinates, associates. Yeah. So, as we see, they don't really want to be here. They make the best of it, though. They come up on this old vacation shack that i'm guessing is owned by the fire lord which i expected it to be much bigger i don't really know what was going on there but i all i actually i think that that was owned by lo and lee azula's advisors oh you're right because i mean there was a picture of them in it unless fire lord ozai really cares for those advisors i i don't think that was his yeah, you know, you might be right, because it's either that, or it's just that, like, Fire Lord Ozai just doesn't go to the beach very much, and he doesn't need a big place. But we do, you're, yes, because we see their old place that Zuko goes to later, so you're right, that was the advisor's place. I also do not think Fire Lord Ozai is a vacationing type. 
No, not at all. So it makes sense. Like, why why would I go to Ember Island? It doesn't look like anybody's been there for years either. So we see their first day at the beach immediately sets their different dynamics in motion. Ty Lee immediately draws in all the boys because she's so perky and peppy and uh, just has a more, I don't know, easygoing personality about her, which is the exact contrast to what we see is going on with Azula. She comes in very intense with almost no social skills and can't hardly get any attention. Yeah, I think Ty Lee has the best social skills of the group. Yeah. Which isn't saying I... Actually, I'll change that. She has the only social skills of the group. Yeah. I like really, that better. None of them have what it takes. But what I thought was really interesting when we learn with Azula as we get further into the day, she is not used to this because she's the Fire Lord's daughter. And she found a certain anonymity here on the island where nobody really knows who she is. And so she's kind of experimenting with that and playing with it a little bit. And I had forgotten that this was a factor in this episode, and I really liked it. Yeah, I did think it was a good factor, her kind of wanting that anonymity to see what it's like to be a normal teenager. Because I don't think she ever got that growing up. And I don't really ever think she wanted that growing up. Yeah. I, I feel like she really embraced the whole, I am the daughter of the Fire Lord. And like my place in, either is by his side or maybe eventually I'll take over the throne. Uh, I don't know what the succession rules are for the Fire Nation, but she's definitely inherited the attitude of Fire Lord Ozai. Maybe even more so, because we see she is very intense, even in a game of volleyball. Which, I played volleyball. It's not an intense game. It really isn't. No. There's no, like, yearning to, like, destroy the other person on the side. And so that whole sequence, was it was pretty funny. Just like, that, that girl over there, she's got a weakness in her left leg. I suspect a childhood injury. We aim it to her left side. Uh, she'll, she will not get the balls. Yeah, that was actually my favorite moment of this whole episode. Because it just shows that Azula is always thinking tactically. And immediately pick up on a weakness and she will exploit it no matter what. Which I really think goes back to the fact that other than Tylee, none of them have any social skills. And I think growing up, Azula always leaned into a very like strict, tactical, very cold-hearted personality that I think she adopted from her father. Mm -hmm. And as we know, the mother uh, left... And so she didn't really, she had really no source of warmth, even though Wait, that, what? Do we know that the mother left? In Zuko alone. No, we don't left. know what happened. No, we don't know what happened. But she, we know she left. There's literally a scene of her saying goodbye to Zuko and leaving. Granted, it was a dream, but like, there was nothing else. All right, I'll let you have this one for now. <laughs> you call me a liar? <laughs> I I I was not I didn't think there was confirmation on what actually happened. Well, she's gone. I 
there's no body, so I assume she left. All right. Continue. Thank you. So we see that, and since we know that the mother has left, God, I was on a roll earlier. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, Sam, God, uh, we know from the previous ep- one of the previous episodes that the mother left early on, and so Azula really lost the only sense of warmth that she would have. And even back then, you know, she was still pretty cold, pretty calculating. And we saw that her mother disapproved of that, which we... But she, once her mother was gone, she really leaned into, like, following around her father and adopting his attitude. And we see it's really been a detriment to her, at least in this scene. She thinks she turned out pretty well, but we see in this episode, like, she... She doesn't know how to talk to people without intimidating them. She doesn't know how to play a game of volleyball without sizing up the other person and, like, figuring out their childhood trauma and, like, pushing a button on them or whatever. So, yeah. I forget what my original point was. What are your thoughts on my ramble? Yeah, it really does stem from her constant automatic respect that she got from being a member of the royal family a direct descendant of the fire lord and even with zuko i would argue that his lack of social skills stems from the same place but in an opposite way azula always just had respect whereas zuko because he was a member of the royal family always expected respect even in his exile years was always expected to be obeyed because he is the fire lord's son so he never had to develop any normal social skills either and we we don't see it play out the same way with zuko either though it's not like he's trying to talk to new people but he doesn't really know how to handle other people talking to may and i know they're your power couple for this season so how are you handling their rocky start here I didn't take it well, <laughs> but um, I did think over the course of this episode, they had some pretty important conversations that I think eventually they needed to have, because mm-hmm. as we know, I would not call May a passionate person, but uh, Zuko, I would call a passionate person, but they're kind of on opposite ends when it comes to that, whereas Zuko can blow up at any little thing especially more so in this season and then may just kind of goes with everything so i appreciated this episode because it it gave some time to zuko and may Mm -hmm. and it allowed them to talk some things over and, and find out some stuff about each other like the reason why may so dispassionate about everything and then the reason why at least lately, Zuko's just been very angry. I would definitely say Zuko has struggled with anger his whole life. Or at least since his banishment. But I think it's been even more of a problem since he returned to the Fire Nation. And since he made the choice to betray Iroh. And we see that come up in this episode. And I did like uh, 
I guess, the climax of this episode, which is just all of them sitting around a campfire after a failed attempt to be sociable at a party. Mm-hmm. Which, I, I really like that. I like they they tried to go to a party and be, like, fun and cool and hip, and it just fell apart for each and every one of them. Yeah, so let's get into each of their issues that come up. So they try to behave normally at a party. It kind of all goes wrong. We see Azula can't flirt. Ty Lee is getting so much attention that she sort of gets called out by Azula, which you never want. And other boys are trying to talk to Mei, which Zuko just can't handle. He's very angry and just blows up in the worst imaginable way, and it leads to their breakup. So when Zuko decides just to leave he decides to go to the old Fire Nation house, the Fire Lord's old house. And we see flashbacks of memories that they had coming to the beach. We see one of him and Azula as young children, babies almost, with Iroh. Uh, We see some photographs of Zuko and his mom and just all kinds of different flashes like that. And it was sort of getting at this feeling that Zuko's having of... I don't know, would you say it was bothering him because things just weren't the same anymore? That it was almost like nostalgia in a bad way? I, I would say so. Because I'm pretty sure he said something along those lines where... Oh yeah, he was talking about, like, my dad accepts me, but I don't think it's what I wanted. And I think the whole thing about him going back to the old house and the memory... And all the childhood memories, it's him thinking about how happy they once were. And I I guess part of him thought when he came back that it would be like that in some sort of way. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't feel like it is. I think it all comes back to him feeling hollow at his choice to come back and betray Iroh and all of that because nothing's turning out how he wanted. And I, I think that all ties back into like his his big moment at the campfire where he just says, I'm so angry. It's like, I'm so angry at myself. Yeah. Yeah. And let me hit you with this, because I think I'm nailing down exactly why Zuko is not feeling the same anymore. When he was picturing his big dream of, I'll just go find the Avatar and I'll go back home and everything will be fine again. I think what he wasn't accounting for was his experiences in the real world. He has now seen the world and what the place, what things look like outside of the Fire Nation. He knows the Avatar and friends. He knows Bossing Say. He knows random villages and random people now that the war is not just a an idea. It's become a reality to him, and I don't think he's liking everything he knows before when he before his banishment he was literally sheltered by the fire nation it was the rest of the war was an out of sight out of mind thing and while we see genuine good intentions from him like speaking out and saying you can't just sacrifice soldiers like that it was never more than just an idea until he got out there so now that he's back and has everything he wants he still has the idea and the imagery of what 
the world looks like, and I don't think he can he can just ignore that anymore, even though he's trying to. Even I don't think he realizes all this either, but I feel like that's what's happening in his mind. I think that's a good theory, and I would love to see the show explore that, but I, I don't know if that's what they're going for because there really hasn't been any mention of that. Now... But that that would be a really good like story or plot line where you just you know, like Azula talking about the world and how they need to be dominated by the Fire Nation and they're just nothing but useless people, and then he goes into it's like no they're not it's like these people are normal they they're just trying to live their best lives. It might be one of those it might be one of those things where they don't tell us they just show us because mm-hmm. of the whole thing like in Zuko alone where he's uh, in that earth bending village. And he deals with those soldiers and his time in Bossing Say, then just any of his experiences. I I understand how you can draw that conclusion, but that's not what I thought of just because they never told us. But I understand where you're getting that idea from. Mm-hmm. And I, I would like to see that vocalized in the show. I would like to see that be a plot point. Because I do think that would be interesting. If he just kind of went the Ira route, where we see Ira became more or less disillusioned with the Fire Nation. Not expressively, but we can kind of guess that because he's been around, he's been cultured, he knows a lot about all of the bending nations. And then we also know he's part of the, the White Lotus, or he's associated with them at least. So I definitely think you could explore that storyline. So yeah, I. I do. I think that's a good theory. And I do want to be clear here. I'm definitely reading too much into the psychology of a fictional character. But if that's not what we do here, then what is? So, but back to the bonfire with everyone sort of laying it all out there. We find out that Ty Lee grew up with a bunch of sisters that looked exactly like her. And she was never able to stand out. And it's one of the reasons she went and joined the circus, so that she could do her own thing. And it's why she was loving all the attention at the beach and any time she got any sort of solo attention. Which, you know, it's not like the biggest development, but it's nice to have something for Ty Lee. And then we learn that May was never able to express herself as a child because her mom didn't want anything to embarrass her father because of her father's military career. So she had to just sort of be prim and proper all the time. She was probably always going to different events and whatever it was so her father could look good. And she just sort of developed a habit of just not expressing herself. Uh, One little note, Mm -hmm. going back to the party... I will say, I do think that May is the only one who didn't really do anything wrong. Yes. Because I, with, <laughs> with Azula, she was just a little too intimidating. With Ty Lee, she just went a little overboard with craving the attention, I think. Well, she did and knock she just, out about like six went, or eight guys, so yeah. Yeah, she, she did do that. And those, those guys really were intimidating. Yeah, I think they all but deserved it. I, I think she just went a little... She just went a little into deep. Yeah. That's, that's what I think happened. She, she, she let it a get that overhead. far. She let it get that far. Yeah. And then Zuko just 
blowing up at every little thing. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was just wasn't outspoken or anything. Yeah. So I will say I can understand how it can be annoying, at least to Zuko. They're like, you just don't care about anything. And but I don't think that's an inherently bad thing. And I but I also do appreciate that they gave her like, this is why I'm like that. And uh, and we also saw that eventually like Azula and Tylee kind of prodded her into being angry and being expressive and caring about something, mm -hmm. which is eventually what brought Zuko and May back together. Did they get back together? I, I mean, they kiss at the end. Okay, all right. I, t I completely missed that part. Because I think the whole thing... I don't... I know Zuko said, I like it when you care about things. Yeah. But I... I can't... I can't specifically remember what it was that made her, like, want to reconcile with him. I guess it might have been his... Ad, uh, his admission of, like, the fact that I'm just so angry at myself. Mm-hmm. I think May would prefer to hear that other than like I'm angry at you or I'm angry at my father. Cuz if he says if he says like I'm angry at myself, then like you can kind of help him with that. So maybe that's why she felt like reconciling with him. Maybe. I mean everybody likes honesty at a certain point. It's like Yeah, that that could be it. Both of them were honest and opened up so they know what to do for the other person. Yeah. All right. Go Zuko and May. Power couple. And then we barely get something out of Azula, and that's that she always knew that her mother favored Zuko over her. In the little bit that we've seen of her growing up, it always seemed like she played it off and she didn't really care. But in this scene, it proves that it did bother her a little bit, that her mother thought of her as a monster. And... I don't know if she was just playing it off, but she does have a line where she says, she was right, of course, but it still hurts, you know. I I think that was Azula playing it off now that I think about it, that she, it really does hurt, and I don't think she wants to be viewed as a monster. Yeah, I agree. I did think it was a very in-character for the only thing we get out of Azula is that one line. Mm -hmm. It's like, even my own mother thought I was a monster. And if I were to make a guess at the psychology of Azula, I think on the outside she presents this aura of like commanding respect and intimidation and trying to be the best, most awesome, smartest, toughest person in the room. But I also think that part of her wants love and acceptance although of different kind than the one she has. I think she has acceptance in, like, respect or, like, military terms. Because or... I, I really don't imagine that Fire Lord Ozai is, like, loving and respecting in any way. I think he values someone who is tough and strict and, like, strength. And I, I think Azula has leaned into that, but, like, I think a part of her wants to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... He respects Azula because she makes him look good. Like we've talked about before, he can he can look at her and say, that's my daughter, in a way that is very intimidating to everyone else around him and her. And I, just that one line, so like even my own mother thought I was a monster, I think that's just the part of her, that little part of her coming out, like 
climbing over the walls that she has built up. Just that that feel, that feeling, that desire to just be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's even the fact that Azula definitely doesn't view herself as a monster. She's just viewed herself as, I did what Dad told me to do. I do what the Fire Nation does. I'm loyal to my country. I'm just doing all the right things. And yet, here's your mother who thinks you're a little monster. It, it, it's got her messed up. Yeah. Part of me wonders if that's going to influence her character any, any time in the future. Mm-hmm. In the same similar way as Zuko, where she starts to feel hollow with the Fire Nation. Mm. Yeah, I think some of the most fascinating stuff with Zuko and Azula is because they have been on the two separate ends of the same situation and seeing more about how their character arcs grow in a way is definitely interesting to watch. I'm trying to speak vaguely enough that I don't spoil any expectations. I will say, thinking about it now, Azula has everything that Zuko wants. He wants that commanding respect that she has. She wants he wants uh, his father's acceptance, which she has. But part of me wonders if he can notice that she also feels hollow, even though she has everything that he wants. Mm. So maybe. If she had broken down like a little bit more, if if she had like more than one line about how unsatisfied she actually feels, I think that would further Zuko's feelings of hollowness or maybe further some sort of resolve against the Fire Nation. Yeah, I, that's, that's a really good point. I like that. And staying with the bonfire scene, we see that they started the bonfire and are fueling it with possessions from the old vacation home which i can only imagine some of the stuff that they burned but one of the things we do see is a painting of the family zuko azula ozai and their mother do you know the mother's name i don't okay we only saw the mothers in one episode right yeah i'm gonna go ahead and put it here because it's not that big a deal ursa I think we ah. learned it. I think we did. I just really so, don't remember. But yeah, all four of them in a photo together, and Zuko just threw it in the fire, and that's when sort of what kicks everything off. But I really liked that it was Ty Lee and Zuko that had this moment. Like, Ty Lee's like, what are you doing? That's a painting of your family. And Zuko's like, I don't care. And Ty Lee said, you care. Like, I, I was not expecting them to to have a moment. I really liked it. Yeah, I liked it too. And it made sense because at that moment, May wasn't going to say anything. Yeah. So it made sense that Ty Lee would be the one to express it. I, I really would have liked to know what Azula thought of the whole thing. She didn't really mention anything about burning the painting or anything from the house. No. Or maybe they just wanted that moment between Ty Lee and Zuko. And maybe it just made the most sense for Ty Lee to be the one to, like, 
ask the innocent question, like, why, why would you do that? Yeah, and because she is the sensitive one of the group. And I really liked it as a visual, symbolic, whatever you want to say, of just a way of them getting some aggression out. Like, yeah, I'm just going to burn these personal belongings, you know, just because I'm so angry or so upset or whatever. And even Azula let them get that far with it. I mean, she didn't, you know, didn't stop him at any point. They burned who knows how much stuff to start the fire. Yeah, I really don't think Azula yearns for that perfect family or that perfect life that Zuko wants. No. So I think part of that scene is Zuko realizing that nothing will ever be the same again. So I might might as well just burn this Mm -hmm. because it doesn't mean anything, which is rough when you think about it because they didn't have photos back then. I say back then as if they actually existed on our world. Well, I did like that Tylee called it a painting and not a photo. It It was a very realistic painting. I will say I do think this bonfire scene might be one of my favorite scenes in the show so far. Mm Mm-hmm. Because of what it does for these characters who are essentially are the villains of the show. Yeah. At least side villains. I, I thought it was an interesting moment of characterization for all of them. Where you kind of get into all their heads, all their insecurities and like what makes them who they are. What makes them tick. I thought it was a good moment. Yeah, it, it's definitely one of the best of season three and... Always, always a top-tier moment of the whole show. So, I guess that leaves us with Aang and company, the Aang gang, this episode. Just kind of chilling, just swimming, bathing, relaxing, whatever you want to say, at this little canyon, walls on all sides, little pool. And the moment Toph says, Aang, you should probably cover up, I'm worried about your tattoos you knew something was going to go down. It leads to Aang finding a water slide that's kind of carved into this mountain or whatever. Goes down, it falls down a waterfall, and there's some random Fire Nation outpost guards or something, and they happen to see Aang without any cover-ups on his tattoos, and they send a messenger hawk to the Fire Lord. And we see that hawk get knocked down by another hawk an even bigger hawk an even bigger hawk which we find out is owned by the assassin that zuko hired and this is sort i guess he just does this like because i was wondering how is this guy gonna find the avatar the only answer is he's probably been intercepting like every hawk that he can find looking for any sort of information that has to be it, or maybe he programmed his hawk to like look for certain color messages, because the two guys made mention. I think it was like a black scroll. So maybe he knows. Okay, if like there's a certain color coding of importance for scrolls, mm-hmm. like these top colors here are, they would include information about the avatar, or maybe he's like taken down so many messages. It's just like someone's just like, my love, I missed you. I'm uh, I'm over in the port, in the ocean. He's just like, oh my god. <laughs> he probably doesn't send them on their way either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be funny if he gave it back to us. All right, this metrics is clear to go. Give it back to the other hawk and free it. <laughs> so this is how he tracks 
his prey, depending on who he's hunting, happens to be the avatar in this situation. And he comes in the middle of the night. And I really like, I always love when Toph wakes up in the middle of the night with like a, a warning to the group. You know, it's like they have this security alarm in the team now. And it's so, it's always great. But she says, it sounds like a metal man is coming. And then you see the glint of the moonlight off of his arm. And I'm going to need a recreation of your reaction, Michael, when he shot for the first time. I'm assuming you've never had this character spoiled for you. Uh, no, I have not had this character spoiled. My reaction was something along the lines of... What? Because <laughs> he just... He, he has this marking of like a third eye on his forehead, and it opens up and some sort of like beam or blast comes out of it. I assume he's somehow channeled firebending into his forehead it is he a firebender or is it just like some sort of mystic assassin who knows magic so he is a firebender and the best that i can figure this ability is what we know of firebending thanks to iros he says that it the source of fire comes from the breath and we see that this guy breathes in really deep and he lets it out and i'm assuming in a way that he is like superheating the air so that it combusts in a direction that he wants it to go and we even see like in slow-mo the shot fires down almost with like a sonic boom around it and this little ball doesn't explode until it gets to his intended target it's incredibly creative, it's incredibly unique, and it adds so much to the world of bending abilities that we've seen. Just, it adds a whole other layer that you don't see coming, and it's such a great moment. I got chills again when I saw him shoot for the first time, because it's been a long time since I've seen this character. And visually it's cool, but it comes with this sound that is just so well done. I still ha really haven't processed him. I'm still on the what phase. Yeah, that's fair because I will say that this character is one that I have heard a lot of confusion about. That it's it, a lot of people walk away from him being like, "Yeah, I still don't understand that one." You know, it 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 because it almost doesn't seem like firebending until you get into the nitty gritty of what's going on. You know. Yeah, I thought it was doing like something magical. Mm-hmm. Well, he's just got some sort of enchantment with that third eye. If... I, I do want to say, I think that the third eye is just a tattoo. It's symbolic. I don't think the it has anything to do with his ability. It's sort of like Aang's tattoos. It's like you get them at, after you've reached a certain point. So I think that is ju it's just a tattoo. And we see the combustion come from an area around from his forehead so the eye is like put up there because that's sort of where it all stems from but the eye is not like the source of his power i don't know if i want to think too hard about this guy mm -hmm. do they ever explain it in the show does he come back so oh that's actually a good point the group only escapes from him we don't see him dealt with so uh yeah he's not done 
But do they explain him? Or is it just one of those things where you gotta figure it out for yourself? Or maybe even they didn't know. Yes and no. They do explain him not here, though. Not on the show? Yes. Oh, okay. okay. I don't want to say too much about further implications. I will say one thing I really like about this character, though, being this type of assassin, this powerhouse that he was, is that it really, really threw the group off guard. They've never faced anything like this before. None of them have ever seen anything like this before. Even Aang, who's from a different time, like this is something he's never seen. And they couldn't fight him. Like they actually have a threat on them now that we haven't seen in a while. It's not some random Fire Nation goon. It's not, you know, other than Azula, we've never really seen them have to like run away. You know? Yeah, I do like that dynamic. I I am hoping to see more of that. Either a final confrontation with this guy, or maybe they learn more about him. Mm -hmm. And small thing to make note of, which I I can't remember if it's like is like important to his dynamic or whatever or his character, but at least for now, he didn't say a word. Which sort of added to his threat level a little bit it's more intimidating you know this guy shows up out of nowhere and is just shooting at us the silent assassin yep zuko must know what his ability is before he hired him right i have to say yeah so didn't he say something along the lines of like i've heard you're good at what you do yeah that's very vague though <laughs> that's incredibly vague which they may they may have just been the writers not wanting to spoil a surprise for us Oh, yeah, yeah, it could be that. Could have been Zuko here, this guy. It's like, oh, he always gets his man. And it's like, oh, how does he do it? It's like, well, he sets up his even bigger hawk to take down other hawks <laughs> and intercept mail and messages, which is a federal crime. And then he blasts him. He doesn't say a word to him right. with his, uh, his, his third eye in his head. And Zuko's just like, what? <laughs> I just want him dead. I just, like, this is cruel. So, no need to touch on world development for this time. We don't really get anything other than Ember Island. Really cool to see. There's a little vacation spot. You know, the rich kids go hang out, whatever. And then, as far as our plot development goes, we see that Aang, Katara, Sokotov, they have been really chill in the Fire Nation lately. And I think this encounter now has them on their toes. And I think we'll be getting back into a normal episode structure with the Aang, that team avatar group, that we'll see them slightly be more precautious now like they used to be. They haven't had a threat in a while. Yeah. This is definitely a wake-up call for them. Cause, yes. you know, they nearly got taken down by the bulk and skull of the Avatar universe, or whoever those two guys were. <laughs> That's the attitude I got from them. Like they're, they're the bulk and skull that's of the a, Avatar universe. That's a very good comparison. Yeah, I watched Power Rangers earlier today. <laughs> As you should be. We we can add that to the list of references. Jungle Book, Spartacus, Footloose, Footloose. Power Rangers. There will be more to come. There will be more to come. There probably has been more in the past. Um... 
All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please leave us a review, subscribe, tell a friend. It helps out so much. And if you would like to join the conversation, you can always email us at avatarfancast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, your thoughts on episodes we've discussed and future episodes to come. And thank you so much for listening. All right, Michael, tell us what our next episode is about. Our next episode is Season 3, Episode 6, The Avatar and the Fire Lord. Aang and Zuko are given insight into their forefathers' past, but how does the tale of Roku and Sozin matter to them now? Okay. Ooh, Michael, it matters so much. It it does? Okay. I mean, I hope so, because I, I assume this is about what happened to Roku and the first Fire Lord. Alright. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I guess if you're going to put an end to something, you need to know how it all began. That does make sense. It does sound like they're gearing up for the end of the show. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we gotta start getting things in place. I assume it's a big Revelations episode, like a, a bunch of oh my god moments. Yeah, I think so. I can't remember if it's flashes back and forth or if it's all set in one specific time, but it's... I said it before, we had like three episodes in a row that are just really, really good, so I can't wait to discuss yeah. this one with you. Alright, looking forward to it. Alright, join us next week for our discussion of... The Avatar and the Fire Lord. Yes! We defeated you for all time! You will never rise from the ashes of your shame and humiliation! Whew, that was fun.